All right, James chapter 1, we began the lesson last time that we entitled The Trying of Your Faith. And we covered a couple things that are blanks there in the handout that if you want to fill in or be reminded of, you can. James introduces himself in verse number 1 as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He simply introduces himself as a servant, not an apostle, not as the Lord's brother or any other title that he could have tried to grab, but he simply wanted those he was writing to to know I'm just a servant of God and therein is a great example for each and every one of us that whatever title we have whatever kind of a following we have we should humble ourselves and remember that we are privileged just to be a servant of the Lord and if that's all we're ever known for or known as is a servant of the Lord then we have something that we can rejoice in for the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples as they were arguing about who would sit on his right hand in the kingdom and about who would be the greatest Several times he reminded them, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Don't be like the Gentiles and the unbelievers who put so much weight to title, rank, and position. And whoever is the greatest is the one who has the most under them. Rather, Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And even Christ himself said, I am among you as one that serves. And as he got down and washed the feet of his disciples to show that he was humbling himself before them and serving them, surely there should be nothing too lowly that we would be called to do for our Lord that we would say that's not enough credit, that's not enough glory, that's not enough prestige. Rather like James, let's just say I'm a servant of Christ and that is enough. Then we covered that James is written to saved Jews who are being persecuted for their faith. He writes it to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad and gives them greeting. But about 12 times in this book, he uses the phrase brethren, not just that they're his countrymen, but that they are his brethren in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews, and they were scattered abroad because they were going through great trials. They were being persecuted for their faith. We talked about the verses in the book of Acts where it says that Herod went to vex the church and that before Paul got saved, when he was Saul, he persecuted the church. They went house to house, finding Christians, taking them and arresting them, sometimes stoning them and putting them to death. And then the book of Acts records that they were scattered everywhere. And as they went, they preached the gospel. They carried the gospel message with them wherever they went. And in spite the fact that they were being persecuted and tried for their faith, they were faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as such, as he is writing to save the Jews who are being persecuted for their faith, one of the great themes and subjects of the book of James is trials. These Jews were going through great trials, and one of the themes of the book of James is the trying of our faith and how we deal with this and what accompanies our trials and how we can be found faithful. Last time we covered number one, trials produce patience. That's verse number three and four that tells us the trying of our faith worketh patience. And we gave the definition of patience is basically you can face delay or frustration without losing your temper, without getting impatient, without getting angry. Patience is something that all of us will need in our life spiritually, practically. We will, we need patience. We'll become an angry person if we're always wanting our way and wanting it now. So we need patience. It's a fruit of the spirit. But the word of God says that patience is produced in our life through trials. 
I would like to think in my life that if I never had anything go wrong, if I never was rebuked of the Lord, if I never had great trials to go through, that I could be just as spiritual as possible and I wouldn't need those things. But the truth of the matter is God knows in our flesh that sometimes we're going to get proud. Sometimes we're going to be apathetic and God allows these trials to come into our life, these outside pressures, things going wrong, whether it's a loss of a job, whether it's sickness, whether it's being reproved of the Lord, and it produces spiritual fruit in our lives. One of those is patience. We don't pray for trials, but when trials come, we should pray for God to give us grace to patiently go through it, to come out to the other side, and to allow the trying of our faith to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. Peter was similarly writing to Jews and to other people who were being persecuted, and he told them the trying of your faith is more precious than of gold that perishes. And he made the word picture there that just like the gold in order to be refined, in order to be pure, in order to be at its best and most valuable, it has to go through the process where they put it through the fire and all of the dross and the imperfections melt away and then the gold is purified. And Peter says that is sometimes what God will allow to happen to us as we are being tried. He will let us go through that fire so that our imperfections, our immaturities, the areas in our life where we have sinned may be melted away by the fire and we would be more like God, that we would be more like Jesus Christ because he allowed us to go through that trial. And not only did he liken it in First Peter chapter 1 unto the, the melting of the gold, but he said the trying of your faith is more precious than the gold. For when God produces spiritual fruit in our lives, it's of eternal value, while gold is simply of temporal value. Then we come to the next part in our outline. How do we deal with trials? Number two, God prescribes wisdom. God prescribes wisdom. Not only do trials produce patience, but as a mean to deal with trials, God prescribes wisdom. Let's look to verse number five. James here gives perhaps one of the clearest promises in all of the Bible, something that's practical, something that's down low on the shelf where all of us can understand it and grab it. And God gives each and every one of us a challenge. Do you want this? Then ask me for it. And I promise you, I will give it to you. He leaves us no excuse for not having wisdom. Verse five of James chapter one. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. A verse that we could put on our wall, that we could take with us each and every day and claim to God and say, God, I believe by your character, you are not a liar. You are God. You are pure. You cannot lie. And dear God, your word has said that if any man lacks wisdom, all I have to do is ask you by faith and you promised you will give it to me. Dear God, would you please give me wisdom? I have another message that I preached that I may come around to this line of preaching soon. I don't have the verses in front of me tonight, but God tells us to claim his promises. We should not go to God arrogantly in prayer, 
and say, God, you better do what you said you do. God, I got a problem. You better take it away. But what we do see is examples in the Bible, whether it's David in the Psalms, reminding God of his character and reminding God how God promised he would look out for those who are being persecuted and him saying, God, you promised you would look out for those who are being unjustly persecuted. And that's me right now. God, would you look out for me? The examples of Jesus telling the stories about the widow woman who came and said, avenge me of mine adversary. And she came to an unjust judge who didn't care anything about what was right, didn't care about the law, didn't care about this widow woman who was being persecuted. But Jesus told his disciples this story and he said, though the judge regarded not God or man, the widow woman came to him day after day after day continually and said, avenge me of mine adversary. Avenge me of thine adversary. And Jesus said, though the unjust judge did not care what was right, he was so annoyed with the lady who came so consistently and persistently with the same request that he said, woman, I'll give you whatever you want if you just leave me alone. I'm tired of you asking me this. I'll grant you that request. Jesus told that story, that illustration to his disciples and said, that's how I want you to pray. Now be careful. The unjust judge does not represent God. But the widow woman who came and who asked with importunity, meaning continually over and over and over again, that represents us and how we are to pray. And Jesus said, so ought men always to pray and not to faint. So when we come to God and claim his promises, we're not being arrogant. We are honoring him as God. We are honoring his character by saying, now look, God, I know you can't sin. I know you're perfect. And I know you said, if I lack wisdom, all I have to do is ask by faith and you will give it to me. So therefore, I stand upon the promise of your word and I ask you for wisdom. Believing by faith, you will keep your word. Wisdom is needed and necessary for all of life. This verse applies always. We can always go to God and ask him for wisdom. Here in James chapter 1, it's given in the context of trials written to people who were going through trials and they were encouraged, go to God and ask for wisdom during this time of the trying of your faith for God has promised he will give it to all men and give it generously if you will ask him. The definition here of the word wisdom in verse number five means experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The word of God tells us in Proverbs that in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Thereby telling us if I have a decision I need to make that's really important, there is a safety in going to several different counselors who have wisdom and getting their input that I don't just listen to one source or that I don't just jump ahead and make a mistake. So when we think of needing counsel, we want counsel from someone who has wisdom. If my car or my truck that's parked out here breaks down and has a problem, I want to go to someone who has experience, knowledge, and good judgment in the area of fixing cars. I don't know how to fix it. And if I go to someone and say, well, how do I fix a car? It's making noises. And they say, well, just start pulling things out and see what it looks like. And I'm like, how much have you worked on cars? Oh, I've never done it before. That just seems like a good idea to me. That's not wisdom. 
So you want to surround yourself with people who have wisdom, but all of us are called each and every day to carry out tasks either on our job, for our school, or for the Lord in our Christian walk that will require us to have experience, knowledge, and good judgment. One of the verses about David, it is David or is it Daniel? I think it may be Daniel. It says that he behaved himself wisely in all of his ways. If I'm not mistaken, it was Daniel when he was carried off into captivity. What's that? I think it was too. I'm sorry if I'm mixing the details up. But the testimony to be given behaved himself wisely in all his ways. It meant that whoever observed his life, whenever they were looking, if it was a time when no one else could see, or if it was a time that was in front of everyone, he was behaving himself with wisdom, with experience, with knowledge, and with good judgment. And here James tells us, I'm sorry? Uh, it's King David. It's King David. Um, thank you for that. Uh, there's, Daniel had an excellent spirit, and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Thank you for the fact checkers. I need I need help tonight. <laughs> okay. Here, no, you're okay. I'm glad you called it out. If anybody, go ahead, especially Wednesday night. Sunday morning, I don't know, but Wednesday night, we can have some feedback. This is just a Bible study. No. James here tells us if we lack wisdom... We should ask. James 4, 1 through 3 talks about how they were struggling with lust and different things. And at one point he said in your prayers, ye ask and receive it not because you're asking amiss. James 4, 3, meaning you're asking outside of the will of God. But And that's one reason for unanswered prayer. But another one he gives in James 4, 2 is the quote, ye have not because ye ask not. Sometimes there are answers to prayer that we would receive and we would have if we would simply go ask God for it. This is the system God has designed. He tells us to pray and to pray by faith. So we do not have faith to obey God that we need if we don't follow his simple instructions, which is to pray. We learn from James chapter 1 verse number 5 that if we ask for wisdom... God will not correct us for giving it. We learn that he will give it to you and that he will give it to you generously. God keeps his promises. In verse number five, when it says that God gives to all men liberally, it means that he gives generously and freely. The phrase there, and upbraideth not, the term for upbraid is the same phrase and word that's used of Jesus when he walked into the cities and did many mighty miracles and they did not believe. They did not repent. And it, then it says that Jesus turned and upbraided those cities wherein he did many mighty miracles, yet they refused to believe. The word has to do with harsh and stern correction and rebuke. And James says, if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. He will give it to you generously and he will never correct you for having asked for this important spiritual characteristic of wisdom. Let's turn to first Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three, a famous Old Testament story that beautifully illustrates and shows to us how pleased God is when we as his children ask him for wisdom. 
Notice that James 1.5 tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. We do not, as Christians, first and foremost, go to education or to counselors who do not know the Lord to try and receive wisdom. Rather, we go to God for wisdom. And when we do so, we honor God greatly by acknowledging that He is the source of wisdom. Of course, we're going to get wisdom from God if we need it, for God created the universe. God knows the answer to each and every question. And the Old Testament tells us, I believe in the book of Proverbs, with all of your knowledge, get understanding. And the scripture also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. You want to get wisdom? Don't start with a textbook. You want to get wisdom? Fear God. Care about what His commandments are. Seek the truth contained in His Word. And following after God, asking Him for wisdom, honors God, it pleases God, and He delights to answer our prayer of faith by granting us wisdom. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll skip down to verse number 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. Now, this is a dream. And often in the scripture, God appeared to people in dreams. So though this is a dream, verse 5 tells us specifically, it wasn't just an idea that Solomon concocted in his imaginations. It was God himself coming to Solomon, entering his dream and speaking directly to him in this manner. And God comes to him and he asks Solomon, the son of King David, what shall I give thee? It's one of the few examples where God comes to someone and it's as if God hands over a blank check and says, you fill it out for whatever amount you want it for. I'm granting you not to liken God unto this, but if, if you had a genie in a bottle that said, I'll give you one wish. God himself showed up to Solomon and said, I'm ready to give you an answer to a request you will give me. What is it that you would like me to give you? And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So note that at this point, Solomon was already the king. He was taking over for his father. And we see through this vision and this dream where he has this discussion with God, he was feeling the weight of the responsibility that he had been given. Verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen. A great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant, verse 9, an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? What he asked God for here in this situation is wisdom. 
He's laying here and God speaks to him and instead of his mind going to, Lord, I'd like to defeat all of my enemies. Lord, I would like untold riches. I would like to have pleasure. He stops and he considers and he says, God, I've been given responsibility and the care of others and I'm feeling the weight for that. And I need wisdom. I need discernment that when people in the kingdom come to me and say, what should we do about this? That I would know how to discern and be wise and give them what they need. I don't know about you tonight, but I know probably everybody in here has some area in your life where you're given responsibility. And I can say like Solomon, who am I? to be given this responsibility. He said, I'm, I'm over this whole nation of Israel and I am but a child and God, I need wisdom. God's given me the opportunity to be a dad and I look at my daughter and realize that according to the word of God, I've been given the somber eternal responsibility to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to guide her. To be a picture of her heavenly father in the way that I interact with her. The other night we were getting ready to, to put her to bed and sometimes it's a struggle and she's mad and sometimes she's schizophrenic and sometimes, like the other night, she's just happy. And I was helping her put her pajamas on and she looked at me and she reached over and she patted me on the shoulder and she said, you're a good, good daddy. <laughs> And you look at a child and you think about the fact that God's entrusted me with this soul. And that can make you lay there for a minute at night and say, God, I feel the weight of this. I don't have within me the wisdom for this. I, I don't know. I'm but a child. Would you help me? Would you show me? And as the, the lead pastor, the preaching pastor of the church, I'm trying very hard to always go slow and to have other voices and to allow people who are older with wisdom to speak into situations. But in the same way, there's people who are I know are coming here on Sunday morning or on a night like tonight that are here to hear the Word of God. And they're looking to me to look to the text and accurately say what it means. And I know there's going to be people that come to me that ask for spiritual guidance. And there's going to be people that come to me with things I never heard of before, or thought of before. And in all of these situations, like Solomon, I am just giving my testimony. You could give yours. You have responsibilities too. To say, God, I need wisdom. I don't know. I don't in of my sinful self have the ability to navigate all of this. But you have wisdom. Would you please help me and give it to me? And one of the ways that the Bible says we can show wisdom is not to show haste. Proverbs uses that word a few times and it says, don't be hasty in judgment. Don't answer a matter before you've heard all of it, before you've heard all sides of the story. Sometimes there's a news story that comes on and people say, well, what do you think about that? And I'll say, I don't really know. And if we could post about something about it and give our opinions the next moment. Or sometimes if we wait, there's more details that come out. And the Bible says even a fool will be counted as wise if he simply holds his peace. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. There's wisdom in that. 
So don't run forward. Don't be hasty. The Bible says don't haste to be rich. So I think some of the greatest mistakes could be avoided. As I look to myself and my responsibility, I try to remind myself perhaps some of the greatest mistakes could be avoided simply by not rushing and by waiting and by praying, by hearing from the Lord, by hearing from other voices. And it's been said that the the bad deals you make are never the ones you pass over. Rather, the bad deals are the ones that you rush into. For you can always come back and find another good deal, but if you jump into something that's bad for you, that's where you get stuck. And I'm off a little bit from my subject, but what I'm saying is that Solomon said, a kingdom is under my control, and I don't know what to do, but my heavenly Father, dear God, you came to me this night and said, what can I give you? And I am choosing to ask for wisdom. Look at verse 10. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Why does God so freely throw out there in James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, just ask me and I promise I will not correct you. I'll give it to you generously. For God is pleased by us showing faith in Him and acknowledging Him as God by saying, God, You are the source of wisdom. Your word is wisdom. Your truth is wisdom. Can you please give it to me? This pleases God. Verse 11, And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor... (laughs) Hast asked, I don't know why I'm having trouble with those words together so many times, for the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. God said, you want wisdom? I'm going to make you the wisest man that is in the earth that has come before you or will come after. Not only does God immediately answer his prayer, give him wisdom, give him the most wisdom that anyone out there has. Verse 13, and I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the king like unto thee, All thy days, any among the kings. Verse 14. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. And if you want to mark later and read out the rest of the chapter, you will see examples how immediately Solomon entered into judgment and God gave him discernment. People were coming with two sides of the story and God gave him the ability to throw out a test and see which one was lying and which one was not. God said, not only do I give you wisdom, not only do I make you the wisest king, but I'm going to give you everything you did not ask for as well. You'll get the riches, you'll get the long life, and you'll get victory over your enemies and honor. Wisdom pleases God when we ask for wisdom. And then, I believe, let me see here, 
You have the verses here printed in your handout about halfway down 1 Kings 4.30. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt. They're just to point out that what he was given by God was wisdom and it pleased God greatly. Let's go back to James chapter 1 and we'll keep plowing on a little bit here as we go forward. I was going to mention and forgot that as pastor, there's decisions to make as well. And with the ice storm we just had, I was remembering last year, I believe it was about my first or second week, they said, we've got an ice storm coming in. And I was like, well, what do we do? I mean, it's Sunday morning. I hate to not have church. I bet we could get there and be okay. And then I kept looking at the weather reports and looking at the weather reports And I said, okay, I guess we better not have church because they're saying it's going to be bad. So I texted everybody out and I said, now these things are often overblown and we may not get any bad weather, but just to be cautious, they're saying it's going to be really bad. We're going to have to stay home. And that Saturday night, the worst ice storm we've ever seen, I would have felt terrible trying to get my family down the highway to come to church and people lost power. And in Fort Worth, they had a hundred car pileup from one stretch of black ice And what I'm simply saying is that we have to look to God for wisdom in all decisions that we make and not trust in the arm of our flesh, not allow ourselves to get proud or have an ego. Let's plow a little bit more forward and see how far we can get here with our remaining time. Verse number six. Yes, you will get faith. But in verse six through eight, God tells us there is a condition on our prayer for wisdom. Verse six. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You want God to be pleased with your prayers and answer them? Then they have to be a prayer of faith. Here the word picture is given that when you pray, don't waver. Meaning don't go back and forth and say, well, God, I don't really know if you can answer this prayer, but would you think about it? And I don't really know if you're listening. No, he says, have faith. And then he uses the word picture of a wave that the sea drives back and forth and it's malleable and it turns and it's driven with the winds that come from the outside. God says, no, do not be like that. Ask nothing wavering. Full faith, knowing who the God is that you pray to and knowing what his character is. Jesus told the disciples in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye shall receive them and ye shall have them. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now I know that there are other conditions to answered prayer. God is not blanketly telling us for all time that whatever we want, we will get. God, you said here, if you ask by faith, you'll get it. So I asked by faith for a Lamborghini and a half a million dollars. You have to give it to me. That's not what he's talking about. The other conditions of prayer are that we pray 
in the will of God, that we pray spiritually, that we pray in line with what God already wants to give us. That verse in the Psalms that says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And some people, I'm afraid, have quoted just the back half of that verse. God says he'll give me the desires of my heart, and I just really want my football team to win, or I just really want this thing. That's not what the verse is teaching. Notice the order. Delight yourself in the Lord, then he gives you the desires of your heart. That's not saying, God, I delight in you. Now give me all of my selfish desires. Rather, as we delight ourselves in God, he changes our heart and changes our desires to where our desires are what he already wants to give us. And we pray, God, give me what you want me to have. And the desires of our heart come in line with God's heart desire, God's heart's desiring for us. And it's a beautiful thing. But a condition of answered prayer is to ask in faith. Know the God you're praying to and know that if he has ordained it, if it's in his word, you can name it and you can claim it and you can say, God, I believe by faith in this context, you will give me wisdom for you said specifically, you'll give it to me. God wants us to pray by faith, knowing who it is that we are praying to and how powerful he is. Verse eight sums up that section of verse six through eight by tacking on this. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is the picture of our emotions and our affections being split. They'll tell you nowadays, if you want to be in sports, don't try to play two of them. Pick one because everything is so specialized. If you want to make it in the pros, you're probably not going to make it to soccer and baseball. So pick which one you have a chance to go the furthest on and follow after soccer if that's it. Do it with all your spare time. Do it with all your practice. So too, God says we cannot serve him and pray to him by faith with half of our mind, with half of our will and emotions, and then with the other serve our flesh, serve the world, serve riches, serve money. No, God says you will be unstable in all of your ways. Rather be sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ, completely and utterly committed to following him. And when you pray, let your faith be completely in in with all of your heart, mind, and soul, putting your faith in God, not praying with doubt, wondering if God is strong enough to keep His promises. Psalm 1 tells us of the man that is blessed. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And then goes on to say that just like the tree brings forth fruit when it's his season and the leaf doesn't wither and it prospers, so too will the righteous blessed man be. The word picture there when you compare it to a wave. A wave is like this and it's all over the place. But a tree, a massive tree that sits by the water that produces fruit has roots that go down deeply. And even if the wind comes and beats against it and it begins to bend just a little bit, it's still going to stay firmly grounded and rooted where it is. And that's what God desires us to be as a righteous person. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to flip over there. You can if you'd like to, to read just a few verses. Here the Lord gives the example of money and tells us that we cannot serve God and the wages of this world at the same time. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Rebecca, are you there? Would you read uh, verse 20 through 24 for me? Yes. Thank you. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see what Christ is saying here when he says, let your eye be single. He's talking about that singular focus on serving God. And then in verse number 24, he's, he uses the point of money. The word mammon means wages of unrighteousness or the wealth that is earned in this world, the temporary wages. It's not a sin to earn them. The Bible has a lot to say about wealth and about saving and about investing and about wisdom. And when you get wealth, the, the point of the matter is that the wealth does not have you, that you're not a servant to your money, that you give that money to the cause of the Lord to be a help to those who are in need to take care of your family. And you may rejoice in the fact that God has given it to you, but you know that that is not your master. And then Christ, using that as the example, says no man can serve two masters. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We have to make up our mind. Are we going to serve the Lord or not? And then skip down to verse number 33. Jesus sums it up by saying, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. These things are the physical provision of food and of drink and of shelter. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What Christ is telling his disciples now is don't serve money. Be a servant of Christ and understand that all we have comes from him and be more focused with laying up treasure in heaven than treasure on earth. And what he's telling them is you cannot serve two masters. Do not let anything be a distraction from reminding you that you are a servant of Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 with my whole heart, I have sought thee. Psalm 57, 7. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. That's the idea, is a heart that is wholly fixed upon God and his ways. And with a whole heart, we are seeking God. James says, when you ask, don't ask wavering. Ask with faith. You won't receive anything from God if you're wavering in your prayer. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And as we go back to James, those verses from Matthew 6 dovetail together with the next little topic that James covers. All of this, remember, in the context of people who are being tried for their faith, who are going through severe testings from God. The next three verses in James tell us to rejoice even if we are poor. For we are, as Christians, exalted to true riches in Christ. Then he reminds us, and these people he's writing to, if you are rich, do not cling too tightly to your riches. Remember that this life is fleeting, 
and accept in the will of God trials. And as part of those trials, if it's God's will for you to lose your riches, then simply accept that as the will of God and rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven and that your true riches are eternal. Remember that these people had to flee their homes. He's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. If they had a business, they had to leave it. If they had savings, they might not have been able to get to it in time. And James here now wants them to know, don't be angry. Don't accuse God that you've lost your wealth. Don't cling too tightly to it. Remember as Job said, Job said when he went through all of his terrible trials and his children died and he lost all his wealth, his wife in a moment of exasperation said, Dost thou still maintain thine integrity? Why don't you just curse the name of God and die? And the Bible tells us that Job was patient with his wife. She had just lost her children. She had just lost her possessions. And he did not turn to her and say, you're foolish. He told his wife, the scripture records, you're speaking as one of the foolish women would speak. Remember that. Remember to have compassion on people when they're in their time of grief, not judgment. And Job said, it is of a certainty that I came into the world naked and when I leave, I'm leaving the same way, meaning when I showed up and when I came out of my mother's womb, I wasn't holding a bunch of possessions. I came in with nothing. And when I leave through death, I will leave with nothing. The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, as we read verse 9, see if you can follow along and get that's the sense that we believe he's saying here. Verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. If you don't have anything, rejoice that you're a Christian, that you're exalted in Christ. Verse 10, but the rich in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. If you're rich and you're made low as a result of your trials, you can still rejoice in that. Why? We have rewards in heaven, spiritual rewards for going through trials and spiritual fruit like patience and wisdom will be produced in our life through trials. Then James touches here on another theme and topic that comes up in this book from time to time. As part of helping them get through trials, he reminds them that life is short, that what we face here is not all there is. And he says, if it's the will of God for you to go through trials, then bear it and do it, remembering that it's temporary and we're going to come out of this soon and be in eternity this life is not what it's all about. Remember, it's James chapter 4. What is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Verse 10, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade in all his ways. Remember that your life is short. 
Remember that as the grass grows up and then it's cut down, or later as he gives the picture, as the vapor comes for a little bit and then disappears, remember too, your riches are short. Isaiah 46 through 8, you can look at that. He's expressing the messenger of God, what shall I cry? And he says, all the flesh is as grass and as the flower of the field. Behold, the people is as grass. The same illustration that James just used. Our life is like that. We grow up, we're here and then we're gone. And God's Word reminds us of this often, not so that we would be sorrowful or depressed, but that we would remember what is really important. And that's what James is telling them. He says, just as the grass grows up and the flower thereof grows up and then it's gone, so shall not only... He doesn't just in general say all of us, but he says, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. He's reminding these persecuted people that you could have all the riches of the world and you're still going to fade away in all your ways, in all your wealth. It's still like the grass. It's still like the vapor. It's going to come and then it's going to go. And I believe he's trying to remind these people of the fact that life is not about money and endure these trials for God. Go through them Rejoice in the patience that is produced. Ask God for the wisdom that He prescribes and go through trials for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. A pastor went one day to a hospital to meet with a man who was sick and near death and he was I believe he was having a surgery and they didn't know how it would come out. And the man said, Pastor, would you please just pray for me that this surgery works and that I can make it through and that I can live many more years. He said, Pastor, I'm not ready to go. He said, I've spent my whole life stacking these things up and putting them into place so that I would have the money here for my retirement and my investments and my business. And I spent so much time on them. Would you please just pray for me that I would have more years to live? I don't. I, I have more to do with all of this stuff that I've saved up. And as the pastor left the hospital that day, he thought to himself, his focus is on his treasure that's earthly treasure. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I I want to invest for my future. We should plan for the future. But when that moment comes, I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking about how much money I have stacked up that I want to spend. I want to be able to look back by the grace of God and say, God, though my life was full of sin and failing, I lived a life that I believe was in your will. And Lord, thank you for the people that I invested in and my family that I spent time with and the souls that were saved and the people who I was able to help share the word of God with. May our treasure and our heart be wrapped up in our in our identity as James introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. I think I'm going to go ahead and stop there tonight. I'm very close. I just have the one point. So probably what we'll do next time is we'll cover the the third point of this lesson, but I don't it's not that much more, so then we'll go ahead into an additional lesson and maybe kind of change up topics as we go, but it is all under the heading of this trial. Notice verse number 12. He reminds them even if you're losing your riches, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, 
For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Yes, you may have to give up some riches for Christ if you're being tempted and tried and having to go through that type of thing. But the crown of life, that's an eternal crown that we will receive when we are in heaven. Let's be dismissed with prayer. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for your word and just how wonderful it is. I love this short little book of the Bible. I pray you would give us patience to plow through it and that you would help me, Lord, to be able to keep it on topic and keep it tight, but keep it deep and and just an explanation of the text that when we make it through this study, all of us would have ingrained within us the truths of this wonderful little book that is written by James, but we know the words came from you for all scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you call us to go through trials, may we remember that you promise to produce spiritual and eternal fruit through that and rewards for us in heaven and help us not to cling too tightly to the riches of this life. If we're called to give that up for you, may we do so gladly knowing that we have treasure in heaven. I pray you'd be with every prayer request that was given tonight. Give every person a blessing for choosing to come out to this Bible study. Be with those who are usually here that could not be. We pray that, Lord, you would answer their prayers. Be with them this week and that they may be with us on the next service. Bless our service that we have coming up this next Sunday morning. May the word of God be preached, the gospel be given, and the name of Christ be glorified. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.